Blog Talk Radio. Go! 
Welcome to Healing X Outreach Radio. I am your host, Augusta Nastasio, and those are the sounds of Ruth Naomi Floyd. She's a Christian jazz artist from Philadelphia. You can go ahead and check her out on Amazon or just Google Ruth Naomi Floyd. I think she has her own website, RuthNaomiFloyd.com. That's from her CD or album or, I guess, MP3 nowadays, Paradigms and Desolate Times. Uh, really, really great, classy jazz. I mean, it'll really take you back. So um, we have a lot planned on the next couple weeks. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still filling out schedule. Just to give you a little awareness, not only today do we have Cynthia Luna, who's a former Jehovah's Witness. Uh, next week, we have a panel discussion a critical examination of the Old Testament text. And we're going to go ahead and discover what was the Old Testament text, what language was it that Jesus read from when he went to synagogue and he read the book of Isaiah? Was it in Hebrew? Was it in Aramaic? Or could it have been Greek? You know, uh, many people believe, well, you know, they're Jews, so wouldn't it be Hebrew or Aramaic? Well, we're going to discuss some of that next week and find out what is the oldest available translation of the Hebrew text. Was it in Hebrew, and was it available? Uh, The week after that, we're going to have a rebroadcast, and uh, I haven't played this, I think I've I think the last time I played this was when we did the broadcast, and it's um, Greek scholar Daniel Wallace. So uh, Daniel Wallace, of course, he's um, I think he has two textbooks of Greek, and uh, he's one of the preeminent Greek scholars in our nation and also at Dallas Theological Seminary. So that will be on the following week. And then I will probably – um, be doing a oh then I will have the week after a debate with Musharif Hussein and William Albridge at the Catholic versus the Muslim on the use of icons in worship and then after that I think I will probably do a live video suite in YouTube on some of the most detrimental scripture texts in the New World Translation some of the awful mistranslations and why they are woeful mistranslations. And I think uh, we'll probably do a rebroadcast and then have Carrie Anderson, former Muslim, a former Mormon, and her descendants go all the way back to the three witnesses of Joseph Smith's uh, vision of the Golden Plates and his encounter with the Book of Mormon. So Carrie Anderson is going to go ahead and and share with us her testimony and story in Mormonism, and that's going to be really interesting. So, but without further ado, I want to introduce our our guest for today, which is uh, second-generation ex-Jehovah Witness Cynthia Luna. And uh, I saw her testimony on YouTube. You can you can go and check it out. I, I have that listed under our uh, advertisement for today. She was raised a Jehovah Witness, and uh, it's right there on YouTube.com, and there's a backslash and all of that right there. So, But it's a long uh, URL, but it's right there available for you to go ahead and check it out, where she gives her testimony at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. 
So without further ado, I want to welcome Cynthia to Healing X Outreach. Hello, Cynthia. You're on the air. Hello. How are you? Can you guys hear me? Yep. Hear you loud and clear. Okay. All right, great. I appreciate this opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is what we do. We, we, this program primarily, uh, well, from the sound of it, it probably doesn't sound primarily, but it primarily deals with testimonials of people that have come out of the cults, not just the Jehovah Witnesses. It began, of course, mostly Jehovah Witnesses because I myself, I'm a former Jehovah Witness, but um, there are a lot of similarities of people coming out of all types of different cults. And usually Correct. people that people that will hear maybe a Jehovah Witness testimony, um, maybe it might be a Mormon, and they'll say, wow, that sounds just like us. And and maybe a witness will be listening, and they might hear when we have a Mormon guest where they wouldn't probably like hearing your testimony but <laughs> because you're an apostate. Right. But that but they might listen to a Mormon and say, wow, that sounds a little bit like what we're going through. So uh, that's how we, we, we winded up with the X, because uh, there are okay. a number of unknown cultists out there that might be listening. And we have been known to have particularly uh, active Jehovah Witnesses listening on the program. So, yes. uh, so Yeah. So uh, you, uh, how long have you been – out or away from the cult? Have you been formally disfellowshipped or disassociated? Uh, my first disassociation was when I was 16, when I was an unwed pregnant teenager. And that was an announcement on the stage in front of the whole congregation that I grew up in. And the and, second and one, so I got, yeah. You got reinstated? Well, seeing I wasn't baptized um, after I had my baby, they um, made an announcement that I was now good association. And then I got baptized when I was 18. Wow, so they made an announcement uh, over the platform even though you weren't a baptized witness? Yes, it was a full-blown announcement. Um, I sat there pregnant embarrassed, ashamed, and my dad, um, he used to be the presiding overseer of the congregation, so he he was no longer that. I don't think he, at this time, he wasn't even an elder or ministerial servant. He was just an uh, active member, so he uh, was still very strict, and I knew I needed some uh, structure, so I went to him, and so but, uh, that's what that's I had kind of a, that Maybe because your dad was the first presiding overseer. They they felt the need to make an announcement. Uh, was it possibly maybe that they marked you? Were you? I guess you were a publisher, maybe. No, I wasn't even a publisher. Mm-mm. No. So they were shunning you, even though you weren't baptized. I was not wow. allowed to have contact. I could walk in the kingdom hall, um, and I could. I was encouraged to either just sit with my family or I had to sit in the library because I didn't they didn't want me to be a distraction to the congregation. So um the only friend I was allowed to have was a friend um that I grew up with and she lived across the street with me. Her name was Wanda. 
and she would come see me, but my dad was very strict, like it was literally supervised um, because, you know, she was worldly, according to him, so she would just come and have girl talk with me, but that was it. I was, I was like in quarantine, spiritual quarantine, I would call it. Did you have any? Do you have any siblings? Any brothers or sisters? Or was it, you were just a single yes, child. Yes, I actually have. I have two sisters. I'm the oldest. We're each five years apart. Um, fortunately, they were not baptized, but they were old enough to understand. But my parents had ended up divorcing, and my mom was disfellowshipped, and so she left. And my with my sisters, so they were not exposed to it. My mom made sure that they did not get indoctrinated. So then I had, when my dad remarried, I had two stepsisters who never got baptized and never committed at all. So My dad is uh, still married. What about your other siblings? Are they all uh, current active witnesses then? No, they don't. They never committed. They never. My mom protected wow. them, but since then, I mean, we've all we're all now in our thirties and forties, and our dad lives in the town with us. But my sister and my dad have daily contact, so um, my dad will still here and there witness to her. But she uh, and she does ask questions and listen. She's very respectful. We are respectful to our dad's decision. Um, cause he is, you know, he's elderly, he's feeble, he's sickly. Um, so we do respect that, but, um, my sisters still practice what they feel to be their own faith. So they have their own churches they go to and my dad doesn't, um, say anything negative towards it. He just allows them to lead their lives. Oh, so they, they attend church, your, your sister's? Yes, they have their own each individual churches that they attend. Mhm. Wow. So that's that's great that you and your siblings winded up uh that's it's rare that they you all winded up involved in the Christian church. Well the thing is is because when my parents divorced and my mom was disfellowshipped, let's see, I was twelve, that means my youngest sister was two and my other sister was like six or seven. So they were very young. So my mom did not have them going to the kingdom hall. The only time they went to the kingdom hall is when they had visits with my father. So they were mostly with my mom. So they didn't really know too much about the truth. They didn't know about, all they knew about is probably uh, going to Passover, to the memorial. Still, over the decades, we've always gone to the memorial. So um, if it, because we, in the town that we live in, we grew up in. And so um, even though we, we moved when I was 12 to California, um, and then we moved back, and as adults we've lived in different towns, but we've migrated back to the town we were raised in. So the same elders are still here. Everybody is still here. They're just up in age. And so they still see us as little girls, but we're like, no, we're, yeah, we're grown now, but um, now we can take a stand. I mean, uh, my sister will will allow them because she has questions. She'll allow them to come over, and she wants questions answered. You know, there's been times where she's had questions, and they come and they're trying to conduct a Bible study, and she's like, "I really just wanted these questions answered." So, um, 
as we know that that's what they do. They they well, they got to get that Bible study in. They got to get the time in, and so it's it's sad. But they yeah, they but were you, never really exposed to it. It was more. Uh, all of you were. Um, all of you. Uh, he, I guess your dad was not really effective at um, teaching you guys so-called the truth. So you know, because uh, you know. At 12, you're young enough to have learned, you know, everything about the witnesses and what they taught. I mean, uh, even though you weren't formally baptized then, um, and I'm sure they were young enough to have learned what the witnesses actually teach and believe, but it seems like you all rejected it. Yeah, my mother kept them very away from it because I remember when she first got disfellowshipped, um, I was living with her, and I remember she was trying to get reinstated, and I remember us going to the Kingdom Hall, and she went to a new congregation because, as I said, we had moved to California, and I remember walking in with her, and a sister tried to speak to her, and my mom did as she's told. No, I'm disfellowshipped. And the sister goes, oh, my God. And she raised her hand up and, and like, treated my mom like she had leprosy or something. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, that, why would she do that? That is so embarrassing. I felt bad for my mother. And Yeah, that, well, I mean, that's that's the witness shunning policy. That's uh, I mean, they, you know, they, they did it in front of other people. It was like the sister wanted everybody to know she's disfellowshipped. Make sure you stay away from her. So um, I remember that was my very first painful moment of experiencing shunning, and it wasn't even towards me, to my mother. And so my mother finally yeah. just gave up and said, I'm never going back. And she protected my sisters from it as much as she could. She even tried yeah. to do it in court by telling the court when she when they filed for divorce she told the judge, she said, please do not let them go because he's a Jehovah's Witness and he's going to indoctrinate them. And, of course, the judge didn't know what to do. He didn't know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses. So that's how far she tried. Your dad and your mom mom divorced even though they were uh, both witnesses then. Yes, yes, and there was a scriptural ground to divorce. Um, but before then, you know, my mom was a regular pioneer and my dad was an elder. Like I said, he was the presiding overseer for a short time. And so as a little girl, I was out in service all the time. I have very fond memories of being out in service, you know, like sitting in the front seat with my baby doll and blurting out, yeah, my dad had to sleep on the couch because my mom's mad at him and all the sisters would start laughing and my mom would be looking at me like, why are you talking about right. this? So, did, I mean, did your mom, uh, you know, if it was a scriptural grounds for divorce and the witnesses, you know what the scriptural grounds for divorce is. There's only one scriptural ground for divorce. Yeah, it was adultery. Yeah, my mom had committed right. adultery, and she was not sorry, and she said, I think it was her way out. She wanted out uh, of the religion, so she so used that she, as her way out. Did she uh, stay with her boyfriend, I guess? Or... Uh, she did. She did for quite a while. Which he was actually her pioneer partner, and he was his excuse to leave too. Um, wow! So he was a witness too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was our wow. her pioneer partner. He actually lived with us, um, and um, it was like their their reasons to leave the organization. 
But that's where the downfall came as far as the breakdown of my sisters not learning the full uh, uh, demands of being in the organization because the divorce was so traumatic. There was so much um, drama that um, we then being separated from my dad, it's like my mom tried to do everything to keep them, to keep us from our father. Um, But it, that's why they didn't really learn the indoctrinations and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I, being the one who got pregnant and went to live with my father, because even though he had, um, I knew I needed structure. So I knew I needed to go be with my dad, even though he was a witness, and I knew what I was going to have to undergo. I mean, like, even my baby shower, the sisters in the congregation donated used baby stuff, and the baby shower consisted of me, my dad, and my stepmother in the kitchen, me opening grocery bags of baby stuff. And I was like, oh, well, I was appreciative. Um, but it was embarrassing. Um, yeah. Well, actually, that, that's, that's actually pretty nice of them because as a witness, uh, you you're not supposed to even donate any kind of goods, you know, anything like that. Oh yeah. So actually, yeah, they, they did. If, they did. They were actually being nicer than they were supposed to be. Mhm. Yeah. You know, they the were. witnesses. They were. Yeah. Because uh, generally you're supposed to be completely ostracized. So um uh, the, the so you had a you had a baby boy that that's which is your son now, right? Yes, and yeah. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, so uh, you never had any other children, just your son? So I had, um, I ended up marrying a witness because um, I got baptized when I was 18, and I only did it to make my dad happy. I'm like a daddy's girl, and uh-huh. um, I didn't do it for the wholehearted reasons that I was supposed to. I did it to make my dad happy because I love him dearly. And so then um, I got married to someone that I had, uh, I want to call worldly involvement with before um, I got baptized. And so um, I married him. He was an inactive witness. And um, we started getting back into the organization so I married into the truth, but we were not allowed to get married in the kingdom hall. We had to get married in front of his parents' yard. An elder came and married us. Uh-huh. And even still, I felt like I was in a fog. I was like, I'm only doing all this because this is what people are wanting me to do. Uh-huh. Like I didn't have a voice. I had to I had to do what I was supposed to do. And, of course, everybody was happy. And So that was, that was your... Um... Your second marriage, or was that your first? No, that was my first marriage, and um, I ended up, uh, I had a, a child. The thing is, is that because he was eight years older than me, okay, so he was eight years older than me, he was inactive, and um, I remember meeting him at a skating rink when I was 16, and that's who I got pregnant by, um, or at least I thought. Um, I just want to say this, that... Um, Due to being um, molested as a child and not receiving any help, I, at the age of 14, learned um, 
I learned, I just started being promiscuous. Didn't know why. I was <clears> very revengeful about it. And it all stemmed in Jehovah's Organization. So, oh, so you're, you're, um, was it, was it uh, somebody in the congregation or was it? It was somebody in the congregation. Uh-huh. And, um, and I was five years old. And what would happen is after my mom and her pioneer partner would finish field service, they would drop me off at the pioneer partner's house. And I was left there with uh, older teenagers. And they would watch me, and for several occasions it happened. And then one of the old, the oldest of the siblings, who I want to say was 18, caught it and reported it to her parents and then reported it to my parents. And um, my, my dad um, sought counsel, and they said because there was only one eyewitness that there was nothing that could be done. So um, mm-hmm. life just kept, life just kept going on. It was like we were still the happy uh, family, and they didn't, um, they didn't turn over this teenager to the police, or no, nothing was done. And um, the thing is, I did not start having. I, I started acting out when I was about twelve, fourteen, promiscuous wise. I started mm-hmm. um, self harming. I remember starting to self-harm because my parents' divorce was so traumatic. All the yelling and the screaming and the um, negativity, uh, it brought me to a point where it was like, how do I stop them? I remember being 13 years old, and I went and sat in nothing, scalding hot water, and I had a bottle of pills that I found, and I took them all and passed out. My parents found me, and I thought that at age 13 that if I did this, this would stop the fighting and stop the yelling. And what ended up happening, they took me to the hospital, and once they had, I was treated, I could hear them in the another room arguing over whose fault it was that I was in there. So it was like it did nothing. Um, I had no one to turn to. So no, it was you, like I just started self-harming. Self-harming was my way of relief. So um, I started cutting, and um, my dad was like, he didn't know how to help me. Um, I ended up in the hospital for a week, and I kept saying, I'm having visions of someone touching me and hurting me. I don't know who it is. I started having nightmares. I told my dad about it. I said, Dad, I have a faith to go with this and he said, well, you know, maybe later in life you could write that person a letter and confront them. But, you know, years did later, you, I would say about, hmm? Did your father, was he aware of the abuse, your father? Oh, yeah. The the the, I, the older, which is 18-year-old teenager who caught the act happening, went and reported it to her elder father and her regular pioneer mother, and it was reported to both my parents. And at the time, my dad was the presiding overseer. But because there was not two eyewitnesses, nothing could be done. Now, mind you, all these years, I know nothing about this. It wasn't until about mm, 10 years ago, maybe, that I was on Facebook. And somebody contacted me and said, are you Cindy Luna? 
the daughter mm-hmm. of such and such. And I said, yes. She said, I need to talk to you. And she gave me her phone number. She now lives in California. And she said, I want you to know that I witnessed your abuse and I reported it and nothing was done. And I want you to know to not ever go back to the organization. And at this time, I was disfellowshipped and had been disfellowshipped since 1997. And I was like, I'm trying to get reinstated. I can't leave Jehovah. Mm. And I said, she basically recited my dreams and the nightmares and and the frustration and anger I had. I was like, it was finally validated. So I was like, wait a minute. That means my father knew about this? My parents knew? That means the elders in the congregation know and they're walking around me like nothing? This is not right. Uh, Of course, now you're you're probably aware that the organization has a huge problem with pedophilia with the organization. I'm very very aware. I'm very aware. But see, what happened was is um, I confronted my father and um, he said, well, you know, the two eyewitness rule, blah, blah, blah. I was like, dad, come on. How can you justify that? I said, so you mean to tell me you've been studying in elders meetings all this time. I know I'm not the first case and y'all just sleeping under the rug. Well, I had a divorced and then I moved to I got remarried and moved to Reno Nevada and there was an elder there that I because again I'm trying to get reinstated it's going up past 10 years you know and I'm I'm just trying to do right and so one thing that always was in the back of my head is my dad always used to say your children are on your coattail so if you die they're dying too and I kept saying how can I save my children um, but yet I was still living a very destructive life, um, uh, doing anything to sleep, doing anything to, um, I never did any, uh, like heart, I was never like a, into drugs or alcohol or anything. Mine right. was more of self-harm, uh, because I was in, um, if I speak, I'm going to be told, you know, no, you, you can't, it's like I'm not heard. But I moved to Reno, Nevada. I got married and uh, I took my oldest son with me. I left. My, I had another son. I left him in Houston with the with his fa- with his father. And when I was in Reno, I I went to a congregation and I confided in the what they what they call them counselors now. I confided in him as to the abuse that happened to me, and he was so kind to say, "You, when you move back." You need to confront him if you'd like in a letter, he said, and you need to contact the legal department at Bethel. Now, no one has ever told me this. And I said, oh, my God, he's given me some tips here. So um, I moved back to Texas after getting divorced. And uh, when I moved back, I came back to my small town, and I the brother who is in charge of the congregation now, he is very aware of everything. Because my dad told me, he, I, I want to know who all knows. And he told me. So I walked in and I said, hey, I'm just fellowshipped um, and I need to talk to you about something. So they, him and another elder met with me and I told him, I said, um, the sibling, eyewitness sibling contacted me, told me what happened. And they said, well, sister, 
uh, Cynthia, you can write a letter to this person, and you can confront him through a letter, and, and then when you get reinstated, then you can confront him in person. I'm thinking, why do I have to be reinstated to confront my abuser? Right. Um, they gave him the letter. He gave the letter back and said, I never did this. I was devastated. I remember my sister had took me to the Kingdom Hall for that meeting, and I was a basket case. I said, how can he sit here and say he didn't do it? I have an eyewitness who contacted me from California and basically verbatim recited my nightmares and dreams. So um, I was very, very traumatized by that. Um, it, it got to the point where I remember on my – I took him out to eat, and he said, Mom, I have something I need to talk to you about. I was like, what is it? He said, do you know I can literally count on one hand how many times you have hugged me? And the same for my brother. I felt so bad. I said, I had my children and said I would never let them experience the hurt and unworthiness that I have felt. And I have never been holding my children. And as a grown man, being 18, I could see the sadness in his eyes. And I said, I am so sorry. Then my family confronted me about it. My family confronted me about it, too. Your son that you raised... Right. He's a witness now, right? He is a witness. He got baptized last year, and he got married last year. Mhm. Wow. So, uh, so um, the other son that you left uh, what was it in um, Nevada? My other son, the the one that is married and baptized, now lives in Las Vegas. <laughs> Um, the reason that my sons, who I raised to love unconditionally and allowed them, I taught them that you have a constitutional right to do what you want as long as it's legal. I wasn't going to shove nothing down their throat. I mean, yeah, we did go to memorials. I think I was in 97 and briefly got reinstated, but it only lasted eight months. I deliberately got disfellowship because I was like, I can't do this. Um, I've got to get out. Um because they kept pressuring me to about my time and about being on the ministry school, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And I, I didn't feel that it was um, a good deed to be knocking on people's doors and recruiting their children into an environment that they are not going to be protected. Mm-hmm. So um, my when my son's um, grandmother passed away, who was she was a very faithful witness in Houston. My children woke up, as they would say, and they were like, oh, "We got to see our nana in paradise." And so they they got it together. I mean, my son was living with his girlfriend. He's like, well, "You got to leave." He made her leave. Um, he started studying. She got baptized before he did, and then he was studying. He got baptized. Now he's a ministerial servant. Um, I have a grandson that who just turned five that they I've, I last saw him when he was three and a half. I'm not allowed to see him. I'm not allowed to speak to him. They have cut all social media off. I have no pictures of him. Um, and of course they're abiding by their faith. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, res- I respect 
Now, my youngest son, he lives 45 minutes away from me. He has always struggled with um, that me and his father didn't stay together. And so he, for for a, a while, was very rebellious. He had turned to drugs and such. And I, always, I said, this child's going to end up in prison. I don't know what to do for him. He was very uh, violent and abusive and had anger towards me. And then he started going, when his nana died, he started getting it together. He got off drugs. He um, established, he's now been at his job for five years. He's healthy. He works out. But he's still struggling, and he still hasn't. I don't think he's gotten baptized yet because just past um, last Valentine's Day, out the blue, I got a text message that said, love you. It, it was a cute little thing. Um, and then uh, a $50 went into my account. And I said, I just started laughing. I was like, he must not be baptized yet. Or if he is, he's just not in his heart because he's sending this to me. And then he ended mm-hmm. up calling me and he said, Mom, I, I haven't really been doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm just letting you know I'm going to start my Bible studies again and I'm going to really focus on getting baptized. And I'm just letting you know that I'm not going to be contacted anymore. So this is the this is it. And if you want to live forever in paradise, and be with us, you need to get it together, and I'm going to pray for you. And I said, okay, I love you. And then that was the end of the conversation. So both, so, both, both of your sons were were triggered to go back into the, to go into the organization because of the death of their grandmother? Yes. Wow. Yes. So um, um, what, what was it that uh, – that made you want to exit then because you you have gotten you got reinstated you became a, a witness again and uh so okay. what was it that let me go that let me go back real quick let me go back real uh-huh. quick remember when i was six, when i was 16 i was announced that i was bad association or whatever okay well i had gotten married when i was 18 and baptized when i was 21 i was assaulted by someone sexually assaulted by someone in the con- in uh, the congregation in the small town that I live. I was so terrified of reporting it. I remember driving back to Houston, and my husband was like, what is wrong with you? I didn't know how to tell him what happened because I'm so used to people not believing me um, that um, – that weekend, I ended up cutting, and I remember my husband coming home and finding me passed out in the kitchen covered in blood. And he was like, what is going on? Remember, we're in the truth. So he takes me to the hospital. I stayed a week. I still couldn't talk about it. And then the perpetrator, who was baptized, Told the elders in his congregation, oh, I had an affair with with sister at the time, another name. And so their elders contacted the elders in Houston, and then that elder went to my husband and said, the reason your wife is doing this is because she doesn't admit that she had an affront of me. And I said, no, that is not what happened. So their elders from the small town drove to Houston and we with the perpetrator, me and my husband, there was, I think, three el- four elders there, two from my congregation, two from his. We talked about what happened. 
I basically said the minute this happened, I kicked him off and started started running. And I'll never forget, I was humiliated by a, a question by the elder that raised me, practically raised me. And I was just it was in give up mode. And they basically, what they did is they just put him on private reproof. I was disfellowshipped. When my husband and I left, we were like, what just happened? There was no planned affair. There was no, um, there was, what happened literally was 10 seconds and you kicked him off and ran. He admitted that. Why are you being disfellowshipped? I said, I don't know and don't care. Let me just do my six months so I can get reinstated. So I had to go through that humiliation too. But 10 years later, I called this elder and said, you remember that elders meeting that you humiliated me in? You remember what you asked me? And I told him the question he asked me, and I said, Do you, and I, I was crying. I said, how could you ask me something like that? And why did you just, dis- agreed to disfellowship me when he admitted that everything he admitted it i mean he he has he's impulsive and he's gonna hurt other women and do you know that the elder apologized god said oh my god i got some validation finally and i said he's going to hurt somebody again and sure enough he did it again and he left the organization, moved to another city, and turned to another religion. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me again. So I, I briefly was this fellowship, I think about six months, then I got reinstated. So when I was, uh, I moved back here to Texas. And so last year, well, actually in 2017, I was trying to get reinstated because I have a grandbaby now. I need to get in my grandbaby's life. My son is cutting him from me. That was my whole focus. So I went to the 2017 regional regional convention because of Hurricane Harvey. They had the convention in the Kingdom Hall. So I'm sitting there in the Kingdom Hall, and... My childhood perpetrator is there. I'm just setting the scene, you know. I'm uh, trying to focus. I brought my tablet. I'm sitting there taking notes. And they have a they have this talk about butterflies. And the talk was about how butterflies weigh less than a paper clip and that even if they have broken wings, that they have potential. And even with broken wings, they still migrate from continent to continent in order to go where they need to go, and they rely on the winds of Jehovah. So I'm looking, listening to this, and I ask myself, does that mean that if I leave that I will have potential? Does that mean that I'll still be beautiful and that I can still rely on the winds of Jehovah? Because what I'm also being taught here is that there are false prophets and that there are people who will use Jehovah's name in a bad way and it will have bad results. So do I choose to get reinstated so I can have one child in my life or do I let 
it will really three, my two boys and my grandson. Do I get reinstated for that and then have mandatory recruitment going door to door to recruit children in, knowing this is going to ha- could happen to them? Mm-hmm. Or do I let them go and save the many children that these people are going to be knocking on doors mm-hmm. and start speaking about it. So I went on the internet, did some research. I found out about that $66 million lawsuit in Canada. I found out mm-hmm. about the $4,000 a day sanction fines in California. I found yep. out about, I, I was like, oh my God, it's happening worldwide. Yep. So I knew that was it. So in January of 2018, I said, I'm done. I'm not going back now, how do I, where do I go? What do I do? Because I've also been told that your prayers aren't going to be answered until you get it right with Jehovah. Right. So for over, for over 20 years, I have not prayed. So then um, what happened? What, what, what happened since then? Because that was just a year ago. Yes. Now, mind you. So you, you I mean, you've gone years. through a lot in a year then. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, you know. Yes, I have. I've gone through detox. I would call it a spiritual detox. Um, uh-huh. So I started to pray. And I said, I asked Jehovah, I know that people will use your name to create organizations or to do bad things. But I know that you have to be real because my heart beats. I look at the, feel the wind against my face. And mm-hmm. I've always been told you never hear me. So I'm going to just start praying. And I did. I said to please help me find a Bible-based church and to please help me stay strong in letting my children and my son, my sons go. And I had, I remember finding a scripture that talked about if you love your mother and your father or your son and daughter more than me, then you have no love for me. Mm-hmm. And I had said, if it's meant for my children and my grandbaby to ever come back, then I'll leave it in prayer. And mm-hmm. I've done that. I actually just went to Las Vegas where my sons are. I found a, a, a Victory Baptist Church. I met with the pastor there, told him my situation. Well, they have a paper where you can write what you want to leave at the altar, and I left it there. And I said, I I want my this church is near my my son and my grandbaby, and I'm praying that he advances enough in the congregation to set in some elders meetings because my son is very protective over my grandbaby. I mm. said, and that he sees what's going on and that he will finally leave. So um, that's left in prayer. So what happened is I started praying, and um, the first thing I prayed for was a therapist. I said, I need a therapist, and I have a uh, insurance, but my insurance doesn't cover therapists uh, 45 minutes away. And I'm like, I don't make a lot of money. How am I going to drive there plus pay the copay? It's going to, it's too much for me. So I left it in yeah. prayer. I said, Joe, if you want me to have a therapist, please make my insurance qualify one in my town. 
Well, I'm in. Mm. I'm at my place of employment one day, and this nice man walks up to me. His name is Mr. Hope, and he walks. And ironically, his name is Mr. Hope. He walks up to me and he says, "Cynthia, every time I see you, you got the biggest smile on your face, but I see pain in your eyes. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a personal question? And mind you, I'm about to go on break. And I said, "Well, sure. What's your question?" He said. Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And I just choked up. I started crying. I said, I don't know what I believe. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to do. And I said, I can't talk right now. And he goes, look, here, take my card. I just want you to know that I am a licensed therapist. I'm retired, and I'm at the First Baptist Church of Huntsville. You contact me, and I can with you, I'll meet with you however many times a week to help you. I don't even know what's going on, but I will help you for free. I ran upstairs, had an anxiety attack, going, oh my God, oh my God, Jehovah answered my prayer. Yeah, it was an answer to prayer. Absolutely. And his name is Mr. Hope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, like two or three times and he says well Cynthia let's start I said no we need to start from the beginning because you need to understand where I'm coming from because let me go back to my mother she became so bitter about everything and then she became angry at my so bitter and angry with my father I looked just like my dad I remember when I was pregnant I was living with her that she was so bitter that she wanted me to not have the baby. And I remember her rubbing my stomach at age 16 in the car, picking me up from school, and she, in a loving voice that I pray every day that this baby dies. And I said, why would you say that? She says, because this baby's going to be uh, a minority, and minority people are um, on welfare and they live like rats. And I was like, this woman's crazy. I've got to get away from her. And so I remember being highly dehydrated in my morning sickness. I couldn't move. My sisters were not allowed to bring me food or water. I had lost about 20 pounds. And at this time, my mom's going through this rebellious stage, you know, dating all these men coming in and out our house. And I remember she was dating a police officer. His name was Mark. And he drove a red Corvette. He came to pick her up for a date, and he saw her, saw me, and he had seen me before, and he said, what is wrong with her? He goes, oh, she went and got herself pregnant. She'll be fine. He says, no, she looks like she's dehydrated. She looks really sick. And um, my mom says, no, she'll be fine. Let's go. I'm ready to go on our date. And he said, uh, no. Mind you, he's a police officer, so he's a mandated reporter. He goes and looks at me. He picks me up, puts me in his Corvette. Drives me to the hospital. They said, yeah, she's extremely dehydrated. Like, she's on the verge of death. And he called my mom and said, if you do not get down here within 30 minutes, I'm calling CPS on you. So I remember uh, my sister told me, so I remember mom talking to the doctor and saying, can you give her an abortion? It was like my mom was targeting all her anger towards the organization, towards my dad, on me. And 
So that's why I ran to my dad, because I was not going to give up my baby. And I hate to say this, but I was I was not one to tell people how I feel, so that's why a lot of the cutting kept happening and the self-harm. But mm-hmm. I said, I've got to get revenge. I, I, in my evil heart, I was like, I've got to get revenge on her. There's going to be a way that she's got to pay for the rest of her life. So ironically, when, while she was with my dad as a witness, she tried to have a boy, and she could never – she kept having girls. And so I remember the last one, she said she had the name picked out that it was going to be Eric uh, Luna. And um, here I get pregnant, and I have a boy. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I got your boy, honey. And guess what? I'm going to love him, and I'm going to make him smart. And he, you will forever have to call the name of the boy that you never had. That was like my only way I could get back at her. I wasn't gonna call her out her name. I wasn't gonna slap her. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't gonna do that. She's my mother. But I did that, and then later realized, wow, that's pretty evil. <laughs> but you know, I felt like I could go back and change it. But it was like I wanted her to know that my child is not gonna be what you said he was gonna be. He was reading by the time he was two. He ended up mm. graduating tenth in his class. I made him. I made him to where he was self-sufficient. My son's never been on welfare. He's married. Now he's a witness, probably an elder now. Who knows? I don't know. But um, after Mr. Hope, I was at uh, Discount Tire getting my, uh, on April the 12th of 2018, I was at Discount Tire. I needed a tire repair. And the number three has always been significant in my life because I have three sisters, since I've been to fellowship, I've tried three ditches. Uh, everything for me happens in threes. So it just so happened this lady was parked in spot number three. So I get out. We go inside. She's reading this book that's called Broken Crayons, Still Color. And I walked over to her and said, what is that book about? Now, mind you, my second prayer was find me a church home that is Bible-based. Mm-hmm. So. She says, oh, this book is about a woman who was abused, and she looked to the Lord in prayer. And I, and I said, well, where did you get the book from? What made you read it? She goes, oh, it's through our church. We have a women's group. It's a mission women's group. And our pastor, he's also a police officer. He um, he has this group as well as we have Bible study and we have Sunday school. And she starts naming all this stuff that they have. And she says, here's my number. You should come and, 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 and visit our church. And I'm thinking, okay. Well, in my mm-hmm. gut, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't walk into a church. I've been told if I walk into a church, I might as well expect to not wake up the next day. Jehovah's going to strike me with lightning. I'm going to die. I'm going to be, right. you know, I just, <laughs> the fear. Uh, teen, I sent her a text and said, I'm ready to come visit your church. And I was extremely terrified. I remember driving to the church, getting there early, watching people go in and thinking, what am I doing I am totally going against Jehovah. But I said, no, I'm just going to do this. I'm, I, I rely, I'm relying on this prayer, and I'm going to see if this is the seed and what's going to happen. So I walked in. I'm numb. My hands are cold. They welcome me. Hi. And a la- remember, I live in a small town. The lady that was there 
is an usher. She goes, oh, here. Oh, my God, it's so nice to see you. And I'm like, hi. And I felt like I was in a fog. I sat down. I just really didn't want to be touched. I was waiting for lightning to strike or my breath to stop. I didn't know what Jehovah was going to do to me. The service starts. I'm just going with the flow. And I'm looking at this pastor, and I'm like, I have never seen this man before. Uh, and I, we're in a small town, and I work in a grocery store. He's never been in the store, and I'm full-time, and i am been there all the time on my off time, so I just know I've never seen him. And I was like, wow, he gave a good word. I felt like it was for me. I was like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And then I left, and I didn't go back. I went for my third prayer. prayer was, if it's meant for me to go back to that church, and make that church my church home, then you will send the pastor to me. Now, mind you, I've been in this town, back in this town for three years. I've never seen this man. So, so far I've had two prayers answered. If this third prayer is answered, then this is where I'm supposed to be because in his service, it was Bible-based. He didn't just talk. He was like, Let's look it up. Tell me when you have you're there at the scripture. We're reading from the scripture. Then he would explain the scripture. So I was like, Wow. So this really happens in some churches. They really can be Bible based. Mm-hmm. So the week of May twentieth, my prayer was answered. I could hear his voice literally three inches from me. And I turned around and I said, Pastor Tolliver? And he said, yes. Mind you, he doesn't know me. I said, I was just at your church. And he goes, when? I said, a few weeks ago. He said, what did I talk about? I said, I don't know. I was so scared. I I can't even really remember. And I started laughing. And he goes, what do you mean you were scared? I said, you have to understand that I have come from a Jehovah's Witness background like over 40 years, actually about 45 years, and so I am full of indoctrination, and I've decided to leave, and I asked for prayer that if it was meant for me to come back to your church, seeing that I thought it was Bible-based, that you would come to me, and you're standing here in front of me, and you've never been in my store. Right. And I started trembling, and he said, oh, my God, give me your phone, girl. And he grabs my phone. He says, look, here's our Facebook page. He liked it for me. He said, here's, yeah. here I am. A friend requests you. He said, here's my phone number. I want you to call me. I want to help you. And when you're ready to come back to the church, you come. If you feel it's right for you, pray about it. I said, that's the thing. I've been told my prayers are never going to be answered. And so far, this is the third one. And so he stood there in front of everybody in the store and just put his hand on me and prayed right there. And I accepted it. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm coming back. So over that next week, I'm texting him, and I told him about my abuse. I told him about what I've been through, and I told him, I'm coming to the church on Sunday. I'm going to come to the front for prayer, and I'm going to come up there and join the church, and I want to get baptized. And he says, are, okay, are you sure? You know, you can go on baby steps. And I said, listen, Pastor Tolliver. You don't understand. I have been told that Jehovah God will not get my prayers 
because I am not worthy. I am dirty. I am bad association. I have to do this now. So I went in trembling, fingers cold, and I knew at the very end what was going to happen. And he said, anyone here need prayer? And I walked right up there, and I just started crying because he kept talking to me about God's grace. And I kept thinking Mm -hmm. about King David and how King David did all these horrible things and how he was still valued and loved. And, yes, he did face consequence. Jehovah did not let him go without consequence, but he was still honored and given grace and privileges. He had purpose. So along with thinking about the butterfly illustration that was given at the 2017 Regional Convention, as well as this, I knew that I was going to be okay. But it was like jumping off of a building and praying that I'm falling in the right hands. So I made my mind over, and on that Sunday, I was welcomed in. I started attending their mission women's group. I started going to Wednesday night Bible study. I started volunteering. They made an announcement. We're having vacation Bible school. Okay, what is that? Um, you know, how can how can the, my talents help? You know, I'm good with children. I'm 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 a good mm-hmm. admin. I know how to do PowerPoints. This and that. What? How can I help? And then he allowed me, he asked me if I would do my testimony at his revival. I didn't know what a revival was. Um, sure. And I did it. And I talked about faith. And the faith that I was taught is lowercase f. All the, all the letters of faith are lowercase. The first one's f is fear. The second one is anxiety. I is indoctrination. T is torn. And H is hated. That is what I organization is about. Now that I'm in a newfound Bible-based church and have a newfound faith, my faith is capitalized. With a capital F, I am fearless. With a capital A, I have active works. With a capital I, I am involved. With a capital T, I am thankful. And with a capital H, I am hopeful. So, that's all. Awesome. Talk about my That's a great acronym. I, I like about, that. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what? Amen. Over the twenty over the twenty plus years, I will say that the, the student ministry school taught me how to be a great presenter. It taught me how to be a great influencer. Mm-hmm. It taught me how because at my store, I work at a grocery store, they always say, Cynthia, you know how to sell somebody you could sell somebody their own shoes. And I think you guys need to see you have a very calm, enthusiastic, you or have enthusiasm about stuff. Anytime they want me to push something, whether it be some meat from the deli or some pies, they got me doing it because they know I've got this big personality. I'm going to come with, you know, with my tiara on and my bow in my hair. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? I know how to speak to people. And my cadence is appropriate. So now... You know, I'm not, in, in my town, they call me, um, they have the nickname of the Kroger Lady. That's the Kroger Lady. Okay, I'm trying to change my name now. I, I want my name to be, that's that, that's Sister Luna. She goes to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm, I, I can talk about it. 
And even for about three months after joining the church, I was afraid to even put it on Facebook. I said, how am I going to tell my children? What are they going to think? Oh, my God. And then I started thinking, why am I putting my children before this? This is their choice. I'm going to let them, I'm going to respect their faith, but this is my life. And do you know that in January of 2018, all I could ask God for was to not wake me up? Can you just please not wake me up anymore? Because I don't have my purpose. I don't have my children to raise. I don't have my grandbabies. Jehovah, please stop waking me up. Well, I just want to say this to you, Cynthia. Don't stop praying and don't give up on oh, your kids. Oh, I haven't. I yeah. have not. Don't give up on I your kids. I, I, you know, I, my, my mother is a witness. I come from three generations. My mother... My sister was a witness. She suffered from mental illness. And I say was because she gave her life to the Lord, but she's still in a household where her husband is a witness. And he's a ministerial mm-hmm. servant. And uh-huh. um, even though she's surrounded, surrounded by the devil, including with her mental illness, he has not given up on being her brother. He's not given up on... Uh, on Jesus now And uh, so whatever All the stuff that she Had assaulted her She's she's, she's holding on to Jesus And, and so I, I don't even know What's going on in her household But I know that she's fighting a battle So no matter what Well let me tell you Even though you've lost contact With your children uh-huh. um, We don't know What's going to happen Tomorrow, but we do know no. that that prayer works. Prayer works. Yes, yes, it does. And yeah, and and your testimony. If if there's any one thing about your testimony is that God hears you. He hears you in yes, your sin. Yes, that's what I was going to say. And, yeah, and he hears you even in your sin. He hears you, and His grace is sufficient. So yes. I, I, that's why I say don't. You know, th- this was a this was a, a huge leap for you this year. And yes, it was. Lot. You know, it even had to yeah. heal. Like I, yeah. I had myself sick. My body like shut down. I had to go to acupuncture doctor. I couldn't use. I had lost the use of my arms because you know if you can literally make yourself sick over stuff like this. Yes, I, yes, I, you I can. Was, I, I was sick. So I, I said, I'm not going to a regular doctor. I'm going to go to a healing doctor. Acupuncture done. She did cupping. And then and, and so I started to recover. And, and then I started exercising and eating clean again. Um, I have since lost 30 pounds. Um, the mission, okay, the, the motto of our church at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church is much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. So I actually got baptized, re-baptized on June 17th, which was Father's Day, ironically. You Mm -hmm. know, here my father, here my own father has left me and shuns me. And we even roll his eyes. I'm like, really, Dad, when we grew up, we rolled our eyes at somebody, you would have spanked us. Uh, But now you're doing it to me. I said, that's fine. It hurts me. I get angry. He never comes in my store. One time he came in there, and they was like, I think your dad was there. I was like, no, he never comes in here. He goes to the other one. He doesn't shop here. They go, no, it was your dad. I go, how do you know it was my dad? 
because he said, my daughter is Cynthia. Do y'all know her? She's real pretty. And this, I said, why is he coming in my store bragging about me? And he won't even talk to me. Mm. But my sister says, let dad be dad. That's his way of showing that he loves you. So I'm stopping yeah. and angry with him about that. But I, I now am, I have given my testimony again at our women's conference. And then I gave mm-hmm. it at the First Baptist Church of Huntsville, and I actually did the PowerPoint to go along with it. And um, it was very effective because my whole point to everyone is, is when they come knocking on your door, instead of saying you're not interested, you need to have empathy for them to know that they yes. probably have gone through something like I've just explained. Mm-hmm. Or um, they are being told they're not allowed. Do not get on the internet. Do not listen to anything anyone says. You only need to be looking at our JW broadcast and only looking at our literature. But after hearing, watching the A and E documentaries, the two that have come out, especially the one with Barbara Anderson, that one hit me hard. I said mm-hmm. this woman was. Eating helping writing some of the literature and what she saw and now she's out trying to change laws to mandate people from the clergy of all religions Mm -hmm. to report stuff. We are here to protect children. So that is my story. Salvation is free and is a gift. Throw your burdens upon him. Practice faith. Guard yourself from false prophets. And practice forgiveness. Always love mm-hmm. thy neighbor. And, and and love does not act indecently. So don't turn them away. Don't be rude to them by, by the way that they treat people. They think they're doing the right thing. And what's awesome yep. is all the testimonies that we see on these Facebook pages or now on YouTube, whether they be from Bethelites or they were of high authority, it is such an honor to see them that they were like, oh, my God, this is what I went through, and now I'm free. So for yep. those of you that are out there that are scared, there is a life after this, and it is a very – gracious, comfortable life. I still sometimes have fear and cry, but I just pray. And I I volunteer at nursing homes. I help people. I'm constantly staying busy. And I'm learning to have a voice. If someone violates my space, I'm speaking out, whether it be by physicalness or by words. So, well, you're doing the right just, things, I'm I'm you're be doing the right real. things because, hey, you're doing the right things for yourself, actually. You know, we're all in the process of healing. We, we've all come out of the cults. We've all come out damaged. You know, the name of this podcast is Healing X Outreach. So, you know, healing might take years. It might take a lifetime, but we're in the process of healing. And we, we have to do the right things to heal. And you're doing the right things. You're connected with people who care about you, which is the, one of the most important things is to be involved in a community of people who care about you. And, um, and uh, of course, prayer. And, uh, and, and also you're being active in improving yourself in every aspect of your life. You're, you're trying to take care of yourself physically. So you, you mm-hmm. work out, you watch the 
diet doing is a wholesome even part of healing the whole person. Yeah, even you my know, association, the music I listen yep. to, the things I watch on TV, um, everything that goes into my five senses, it's called distractions. We just talked about it in Bible study, that, you know, Satan mm. uses our five senses to distract us. So right, right now I do, as my pastor had preached, he said to close doors, let, close the doors that you know need to be closed, and to just stand in the hallway and praise him, and the spiritual mm. journey that's next for you will open for you. And so just jump and praise and wait. Just be still. Don't demand it. Let it happen. So that's where I'm at today, and I'm so happy that I have a voice. Amen, amen. And let everyone me, let me out go there listening. Do it too. Let me throw the number out so that anybody who wants to talk to you, they can talk to you with. We have like only 15 minutes left. So okay. the number is 347-934-0379. If you're listening and you want to talk to Cynthia, you have any questions, you have any comments, any encouragements, just press 1 after dialing 347-934-0379. You can talk to Cynthia about her journey coming out of the witnesses. And um, uh, I don't know how much contact you have with your kids, but I will say this, that um, one of the things that I've done over the years, and um, I've gotten to the point where I just, I've given my mother to the Lord. Um, and I just say, you know, Lord, she's in your hands. Um, mm-hmm. if she's meant to come out. You know, I know that you won't leave her behind. And, um, but, you know, I know that it's also partially up to her also, the deception she's under. But I know that the Lord has answered my prayer for my sister's concern. And uh, Mm -hmm. I can only do but so much. But even the little that I've done has been seeds. So I will say that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know one great thing that I I did a lot, which actually led to my father-in-law, being delivered was letter writing, and they they can they can they can choose to throw away the letter, but more often than not, they will read the letter and then throw it away. <laughs> more exactly. Often than not, that's what they'll do. And and exactly. and what happened with my father-in-law was, of course, um, also is recognizing doors when they're open. We know. Uh, we know the thing about being outside of the organization is we're actually a lot more informed than those inside the organization uh, because we are actually keeping an eye on the progress or the regression of the organization. We know right now we're in a great time because the organization is in serious damage control and it is losing right. members left and right. This is the worst time for the organization. It is in a serious decline. I never thought. Oh yeah, their, their I, halls are having. They're, they're losing members. Their halls are sell. They're having to sell them. They they are yeah. now more talking about money. Remember when we used to knock on doors and we don't we don't pass the plate around. We just have a contribution box. Um, you know, you just give as you want, yeah. and um, there's no pressure. But now they're heavily talking about money because they've got all these lawsuits that they've got to pay and all these mortgages and whatever. They are losing, 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 losing. But I'm here to yeah. tell you that, you know, Jehovah, just like with Job, 
will allow things to go on for so long, and then he he just starts to let it. He just starts taking action. Um, yeah. As you know, we we say why? Why is this happening? Well, we're living in Satan's world, and prophecies are being fulfilled, and then they're just mm. part of that prophecy. So, but I yep. do want to say that I have for years suffered from mental illness. I've been in the mental hospital twice, but back in 20 years ago. Um, I now see a regular therapist, and I also see an abuse counselor th- uh, therapist to help me in case I'm ever abused physically or any type of way verbally. Um, I am just on an anxiety medication now, but I work out and eat clean to help me stay balanced. I do a lot of prayer. I'm now doing yoga. Um, I'm doing everything possible, and I live on my own. I try to just stay in quiet. I don't like a lot of noise. Um, I don't want to hear the fighting. I just stay to myself if possible. And, yeah, like um, I said, you, you're doing a lot of things to – Heal the whole person, you know, physical, yes. spiritual, mental, all of those things, and and it, that that's all, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to, to um, better yourself as an entire being, and uh, and, and, and I think I that did, all did, all of that is important. I covered all my of that cut. is important. I always, cut, I always used to cut in the same place on my left <clears> arm, and I covered them with three butterflies because three is my number and two of the butterflies have broken wings and the other one doesn't. So now when I'm scanning groceries, instead of people seeing my cuts, they see the butterflies and they go, oh my God, that is so beautiful. What is, of course, people yeah. with tattoos, they know that meaning. They go, what does that mean? I go, oh, right. actually this is like Jehovah and Jesus and this is us. This is like me, right. my job, Jehovah and me, my family. And, and so I give a testimony at least 20 times a day regarding my tattoo and they don't see the cuts. They see the butterflies. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's turning. Once again, you're, you're transforming something that you felt was a symbol of pain now into a symbol of beauty. Um, once again, I just want to go ahead and give out the number three four seven nine three four zero three seven nine and press one. We're down to the last eight minutes of the podcast, and so um, if you don't speak now for. <laughs> You're gonna, you're gonna regret it. So, <laughs> but, well, um, they can always, yeah, I, they, they can always contact me on Facebook. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. always welcome to to help people, um, because I know the feelings of wanting to give up. I know the feelings of being shunned, being told to sit in the back, don't be a distraction. You're, you're looked down upon. Um, I know that, so I, I'm always willing to help someone. Um, so people can contact me on Facebook. Um, yep. I have no problem with that because I'm constantly posting affirmations. I'm constantly posting my progress. Um, if I'm having a fear, I post it. Um, not every day is good for me. So mm-hmm. um, I, I am accessible. Yeah, and we, uh, we also we have, the link, we have the link to your testimony at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in the advertisement. Yes. So those of you who want to go ahead and take a look at that, that's on YouTube. And, of course, eventually all of our programs, we're in the process of moving them, not only for listening here on, on Block Talk Radio, but also on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. So those of you who want to subscribe, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can get to hear testimonies like Cynthia's 
on our YouTube channel. Just go ahead and Google Healing X Outreach on the YouTube search search bar. All right, so uh, Cynthia, once again, I just want to thank you. I'm, I'm I'm glad to see all of your progress, and I'm glad that your your church is using you, and your gifts are being used productively. Um, and and that's another thing is that you know they say that the idle mind is is the devil's playground. You stay busy, you stay busy with the ministry of the church. You, you're close to the community, and uh, that all is beneficial. I really think community is a really important thing to have for those that are exiting the cults, um, especially uh, for those who embrace faith. Uh, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. But even if, if someone is exiting the witnesses and they don't embrace faith, you need to find community. And Facebook is a form of community, but I really think that there's nothing like seeing other people's faces, you know, in person. So, I really encourage yes. people to find some kind of community. Um, well, I'm here to tell you, uh, if you're in the Texas area, if anyone's in the Texas area and, and, and needs to meet up, I don't have a problem with that because the tr- I know the trembling. I know the fear. It is so unbearable. You're like, it, it paralyzes you. And to have someone touch you and say, it's okay. God's grace is more powerful than that. Take a deep breath and let it go. So, Cynthia, now you've, you've been fellowshiping with this church. You've had to unlearn a lot of stuff from leaving the witnesses, oh, haven't I'm you? Still un- I'm still unlearning. Yes. I, I, I've already <laughs> I told someone today, I spoke to uh, someone uh, in the church today about my fear of the cross. I said, mm-hmm. I don't want to bring this up in Bible study. I don't want to bring this up in Sunday school. I need someone to sit down with me, and I need to explain why I have a fear of the cross. And it's like I need one-on-one. I mean, there's times in Bible study or such I'll, I'll raise my hand, but I'm like, okay, this isn't about me. We're here to learn. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's so intense of what we have learned as Jehovah's Witnesses that I need mm-hmm. someone to break it down. Seeing we are a Bible-based church I know that they can do that, but I also know that there are some things in the Bible that really don't make sense to any of us that only mm. Jehovah knows, and we just have to wait to see what it means. Mm. You know what I mean? You well, know, there's there's I, just I, no I, way to understand exactly everything. Private message you something about the cross because um, okay. I gave a whole presentation. There's actually, I, I do want to encourage you something else that you probably that you might not aware of, but uh, in Pennsylvania. Every October they have a conference. It's called, uh, yeah, Witnesses Now for Jesus Convention. So mm-hmm. you know if, if if you can, you know, get a bus or something, and probably you you might be able to give your testimony there at the Witnesses Now for Jesus Convention. It's a convention that's been going on for over thirty years. It's, it's not as well attended as it used to be, but. Bill and Joan Setner began the Witnesses Now for Jesus Convention. I'll definitely link you to their YouTube channel okay. so you can see all the speakers okay. there. And and it's uh, they they have one now in the Midwest also that might be closer mm-hmm. to you. I know Cynthia, um, another Cynthia, Cynthia Hampton, a good friend of mine, Cynthia Hampton, has done the one in the Midwest, and I think that one was in Arizona. So I'm a I'm gonna see if you can friend up Cynthia Hampton if you haven't, and she could definitely okay. um, 
you, you could hook up with her. She does women's conferences in Cali. She's in California. Right. Well, but, I, just um, want, I just want everybody out there to know, especially if you're an active Jehovah's Witness, I want you to know that you need to research everything that you do, whether it be religion or anything. You need to research it. You mm-hmm. need to ask questions, and you need to pray. And if it doesn't, like they say, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You need yeah. to stand up for yourself. And and those who are mentally struggling to where they're at a, you can reach mm-hmm. me through Messenger at any time. If you if you feel your prayers aren't answered, I am always here. So um, and of course, and you as well. We are a community because I reached out to you a long a year ago. So um, I thank you. And um, just everybody, please don't give up, and please have empathy on them when they knock on your doors, and let them know to do their research. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your testimony today. And uh, the link for this program that I gave you is a link where you can use. Anybody wants to hear your testimony, you just go and pass that link. It'll it's archived instantly when the show ends. You can just provide that link, and people can listen to your own testimony. Um. Uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just resend that link for you also. I uh, just want to remind everyone, next week we're going to go and look into the Old Testament text, which is the oldest text, the Greek, the Hebrew, or the Aramaic. We're going to have a panel discussion. A uh, good friend of mine is a historian, David Whitten, and uh, William Albridge uh, for that panel discussion. And uh, so uh, join us next week for that two-hour panel discussion. I uh, just want to remind everyone, please pray for Jehovah's Witnesses. Pray for those that are trapped in the cults. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.